Well, good morning. Hopefully you can hear me. I got unmuted. So, uh, just to let you know, Andy is down in Mexico. He texted me yesterday and said he got a sunburn. I think my exact reply was not even sorry. So as I got two degrees on my phone as I walked up here. So uh, this morning, if you're online, throw a comment out there. Let us know who's watching. Put a comment there in the Facebook chat so we know that you're there. But this morning, we're going to talk about something that for anybody born before or born after 1980 probably does not remember. But in 1982, there was a TV show on uh, that featured David Hasselhoff. And uh, he was a guy that the background of the story was he got shot in the face. And so this billionaire, Devin Miles, took him in did reconstructive surgery so he was not the man that he once was, uh, gave him this really fancy car with the lady mechanic, which was unheard of in 1982, and uh, he became Michael Knight, and the TV series was Knight Rider that aired from 1982 to 1986. Now, the show was totally made up, and we know it was made up because he was had this really nice car that could drive itself, and we know that's really not possible these days drive itself and whenever he was going somewhere the car would tell him how fast they were going and when they would get there and then to make things worse he would talk to his watch whenever he needed to communicate and we all know that that really can't happen and there there's a picture of kit so and if you ever want to know the person that played mr belvedere uh, was the voice of kit in that in that show if you didn't know that little trivia there so why do I even care to bring that up? Well, if you remember the premise of the show, the premise of the show was one man can make a difference. And as we bring that back to the Bible, one man absolutely did make a difference, and that was Jesus Christ. But I'm going to put that a little further in that one person can make a difference as we look at our story today in John chapter 4, as Jesus has an encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And we're going to see how through one man affects one lady affects an entire town. So if you would, uh, we're going to start off on chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact that was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he went, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Now the plot of ground, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, I just want to ask you this morning that uh, you would put your hand over this message, Lord, uh, that you will talk to everyone that needs to hear this, Lord, and uh, that your spirit will be felt, Lord. And if anybody needs to make a decision, that that will happen. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for the safety you've given us, even though it's cold outside, Lord. Uh, even in this winter, Lord, we can see your goodness, Lord. It was so beautiful to see the snow falling this morning. Uh, just thank you for protecting us from it, though. In Jesus' name I say this. Amen. 
So Jesus is in Judea, Jerusalem, and uh, he's having some success. In fact, they're baptizing a lot of people, but as the story says, it's not Jesus. It's his disciples that are baptizing. But the Pharisees are kind of causing a ruckus, so he decides to go back to Galilee. Now, if you know your geography, Jerusalem on the map is down here, and Galilee is up here, and in between there is Samaria. Now, a lot of times the Jews would not go through Samaria. They'd choose to go around, but that required crossing a river and to get into another territory. So the quickest way from point A to point B is a straight line, and that's exactly where Jesus went. And he ends up in a town called Sychar. And he comes there about the sixth hour. Now, for the Jewish clock, the sixth hour, the day starts at 6 o'clock a.m. So the sixth hour would be noon. So at this time, it is hot, and he's tired. He's been walking all, all morning, and he sits down by a well. And this lady comes out. Now, we know this isn't normal because everybody gathers around the coffee pot in the morning, and that back in those days, they gathered around the well. Everybody came out early in the morning. They visited. They talked. Uh, they drew their water. They went back home for the day to begin their work. This lady is coming out at 12 in the afternoon to fill her water jug. Not only is Samaritans an outcast from the Jew, she's an outcast from the Samaritans in the fact that they, she has been excluded from the regular gossip, coffee talk that they have, and she has to come draw her uh, water in the morning. So Jesus is sitting there by the well. She comes out, and he asks an innocent question. Can I have a drink? Now, this woman, we know she's an outcast. Her response is quite curt and like, why are you asking me? You don't associate with me. Why are you even bothering with me? You can get your own drink. And, uh, you know, we can kind of understand that. Somebody that's hurt in society, sometimes they're a little short and curt. But notice, there's a couple things I want you to notice in this story today. Is Jesus how he reacts every time to the woman? And then how the woman reacts every time to Jesus? And this time, whenever Jesus is confronted with the question, why are you even associated with me? Jesus throws out another question to her and says, well, if, if you knew who I was, kind of like Doug said, you would ask me for living water and I'd have given you all you needed to drink. And this lady at this point is a little confused. But it's an easy opening statement. Jesus easily asks the question, but he doesn't, he doesn't go down that rabbit trail of confrontation. He just explains, if you knew who I was, I would give you living water. You know, one time I was at a, uh, at a fancy dinner in, in Manhattan. I was with Farm Bureau. I had an annual meeting, and I know it was a fancy dinner because there was more than one fork at the table, and that confuses me, but it's where I was at. And the problem with this fancy dinner is there's about 400 of us in this room, and they put the tables in long rows. It wasn't round tables. So your only option of talking to anybody is the person on your left or right or possibly across the table but that meant you might spill your tea water or whatever beverage they had in front of you there so my wife is on my left and everybody that we knew that had come from our area was on left of her so i'm i'm out in the cold at this point and i'm sitting there and another lady and her husband comes and sits by me which i thought was quite nice of them since there was nowhere else to sit and she sits beside me and her husband on the other side and because I have no one else to talk to, her and I kind of strike up a conversation during dinner, and then, then the program begins. And we're sitting there, and the, the president of Farm Bureau gets up and starts announcing all the dignitaries or legislative people that are there. And I did not realize it at the time, but that lady was the wife of the Secretary of State for Kansas. 
I had no idea who I was sitting at. And this is kind of like this lady here at the well. If you knew who I was talking to you, you wouldn't be asking for a drink. I would be giving you one and to take care of your problems. So let's go on and see how this conversation proceeds. And the woman goes in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw, the, draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you getting this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Now, Jesus has thrown out the bait there whenever he's fishing for this lady and told her, I have the living water. And now she's starting to play with that bait, just like a fish out there when you're fishing with a hot dog and you start to see that bobber starting to bait drop. She's like, she still, she still doesn't understand. She's like, sir, I, I don't get it because this well is deep and you have nothing to draw with, but yet you're going to give me living water. How can that be? Are you greater than our father Jacob? <laughs> the answer is, yeah. Jesus is the God of Jacob. Yeah, Jesus is greater, but she doesn't understand that yet. So Jesus is bringing her back. And he says, uh, he says, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty. Jesus is using a, spirit, a physical need to meet a spiritual problem. Her problem isn't that she's thirsty. Her problem is that she's made a lot of bad choices in her life that need to be corrected. And Jesus is trying to bring her back to that. You know, have you ever had that problem in your life? You know, have you made a lot of mistakes in your life, some of them that you can regret, that you regret? Whenever you look back at that, did you figure out what you did wrong? It's, we, those things happen whenever we get outside of God's will. And this lady, we'll find out here in a little bit, had gotten outside of God's will and she had a problem. But Jesus is always willing to bring you back. And sometimes we have trials just because we have trials, because God said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world, we're going to have trouble, and sometimes we have those trials. And I want to ask you, if you look back at those trials that you had in your life, and you didn't leave God, can you look back and see how he brought you through them? You know, sometimes he calms the storm, and sometimes he calms the child. And that's where he's at. And this lady is hurting. She's got a physical need in the fact that she is thirsty. And Jesus is exploiting that physical need to show her spiritual problem. So the lady has quite the question in verse 15. It says, Sir, give me the water so that I won't be thirsty again and, and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus is about to set the hook on this. He has got her playing with the bait pretty well. That bobber's about ready to go under, and you're about to pull, pull on it and catch yourself a fish. She is tired. She is thirsty. She's exhausted, and she is looking for something to fill that need. Folks, Jesus Christ can fill that void in your life. Are you looking like you're missing something? Jesus Christ is the void, and that's what he's trying to tell her here. So, Jesus, I it must have been hard to talk to Jesus. Because you ask a question, and he goes a different direction with it. Have you ever noticed that? If he, they ask him a question, he'll return and ask them a question. 
And it's got to be frustrating, but I like the way, if you look at the way Jesus encounters people, he keeps bringing them back to the main issue and not going down rabbit trails. And so in verse um, 15, the woman asks, you know, give me this water so I won't be thirsty. And then Jesus finds the root of the problem right here. He says, in verse 16, he says, uh, go, call your husband and come back. And the woman says, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this, I've got no husband. And Jesus goes, yeah, you're right in saying that. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands before now, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. Oh, wow, I didn't tell him any of that, and he knows everything about me. Folks, Jesus knows everything about you, so why are we trying to hide from Jesus? And so Jesus says, yes, what you're saying is quite true. And then the woman realizes that this man uh, is a prophet. And so he goes on down into verse 19. <clears throat> the woman says, Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Oh, wow. Would you like to be that woman at that point? talk about not knowing who you're talking to and you were griping at him for not having something to draw water with earlier and jesus just landed the catch uh we don't know what exactly all happened after this the disciples come back and it's it's not recorded but uh we have this discussion here that the woman has sir where do we worship at do we worship here or do we worship there? Outside of Sychar was a, was a mountain. I think it was called, a, I'm going to mispronounce it, Ger, Gerzeum, something like that. And that's where the Samaritans worshipped uh, God at, for lack of a better term. And, of course, we all know that the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. That's where the, the holy city is. And Jesus just blows that all out of the water and says, Lady, you don't have to worship there. You don't have to worship in Jerusalem. What I want is people that worship me in spirit and in truth. And what does that mean? Spirit and in truth. It means he wants your heart. He doesn't care about your location. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your soul. He wants everything about you. He does not care where you're at. This building is great. And I wish it could be filled today, but we know it can't because of the weather. But this building is great, but this is not the church. This is not where we worship. We worship in here. Now, we come to church because the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together. That is why we need each other. We need that coffee talk. We need that inspiration. We need that encouragement from each other. But folks, the church, the building is not the church. The church is the people of Jesus Christ. All right? And those that believe in him worship in spirit and in truth. And you can do that anywhere just like we're doing today online. But he does ask us to come back together to encourage one another. And the lady leaves here 
And he goes, she goes to town. Now, she's just picked up a technique from Jesus. And we're not going to read this part, but she goes back to town and she goes to the people that have casted her as an outcast. They don't even like her. And so she's got a pretty sneaky way of coming up to her. And she goes, hey, there's this guy out by the well knows everything about me. I didn't tell him anything, and he told me everything about myself. Do you think that could be the Christ? And so now, does she go out and just tell him the facts? No. She puts a little debate in front of them. And they come on back, and they discuss her, and there is restitution made. She is now accepted into the town because of this, and we'll read in verse 39. It says, Many of the Samaritans that in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his many words, uh, because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Have you noticed this? Jerusalem was down here. Galilee is up here, and he had to go through Samaria because that was the quickest point from point A to point B. And yet, he stops at a well and socializes with a woman, and he's not worried about time. He spends two more... That's the quickest route to get to where he's going, but he spends two more days in a town that's basically ostracized by the Jews. Folks, it doesn't matter who you are. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to be part of his family. If Jesus can take a prostitute, uh, an adulterer, and change her life, he can change yours. If he can take an adulteress and change the town, a town around her, folks, he can use you to change somebody else's world. So uh, that's kind of what, what happened here. But that's not the end of the story. If you go back, we skipped, to, I think it's verse 31 we skip that uh the disciples came back and have he's they're sitting there wondering why is he talking to her have you ever had that conversation in your world why is that person talking to them we don't associate with those folks we're not supposed to be prejudiced and jesus wasn't but the disciples hadn't got that through there yet and the disciples come up and said uh they're scared to ask him any real poignant questions because like most things we're scared of the answer Okay, so but uh, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. This is when the woman went back to the town to tell him. And he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Again, we're back to the uh, we're dodging the question uh, or, or this, the situation. And his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus said, my, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then harvest. I say open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reapers draw his wages. Even now he harvests the crop of eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. You know what Jesus just said there? People are ready to hear the gospel. It's already been done. The hard work's been done. All you got to do is just tell them about me, 
and you're going to reap a harvest that you've never seen before. That's what he's trying to tell you. We're ready. And we know the end time is coming because if you don't believe it, look at the devil right now, folks. It seems like he's in overdrive trying to get us away from the church, away from our families, away from the community. Everything it seems to be pointed against us. And that's the devil working. Folks, everything, every problem in life is typically a spiritual problem. And right now, if we don't get back to Christ, we're really going to have some problems. So we're getting down here to the end of the story, and, the, and he says to the disciples that uh, your job is just to go reap the harvest. So here's the deal, folks. Here's the whole thing of the sermon. God has a plan for you, okay? If God can use, can take the time and uh, worry about a Samaritan woman who has had five husbands and the person she's with now is not her own, basically she's an adulterer, okay? If you're that person, God still has time for you. He spent time with that woman. He's ready to, to help you. So... God isn't worried about your past. He's worried about your future. And if God can use an adulterous woman to go save a town, do you think he can use you in your little world to change somebody else's world? So to kind of back up just a little bit and take a breath, when I was in high school and college, that was 25, 30 years ago. Jennifer smiling. She graduated the same year I did. 30, I think it'll be 30 years ago this May, I graduated. I played a lot of basketball. And I loved basketball, and I played it every chance I could. And, uh, and, but the problem in high school was uh, my feet was not with my mind. I knew what I needed to do, but I hadn't grown into my feet yet, and so that was a problem. But kind of college, everything kind of came together. And I didn't play college ball, but I did play intramurals. And I loved it, and I had a great time. Well, since then, I've aged a little bit, okay? And then last, uh, in fact, about two years ago, I had back surgery, but that's never really affected me, I don't think. And uh, my daughter started playing ball last winter, and she was playing in a basketball game, and, and they weren't doing very good, to be honest with you. And so at halftime, I went over to encourage her on how she should do something different. And the coach, I love the woman. She's a great volleyball coach, but she didn't know a lot about basketball, which is fine. It was a little, this little rinky-dink uh, league that we were in. And she asked me, would you want to help coach the team? Not really. But my girl's playing, so I guess I got to be here anyway. So I, I went and coached. Well, there's only about seven girls on the team, maybe eight. And so when we were going through practice, we're doing drills, and they're doing okay. But they really needed to compete against somebody. Now, I've played basketball. I've played a lot of basketball. So they can compete against me. And with me and the other coach and, and another couple people, we grabbed off the sidelines, started to play, co play ball. Folks, I can't play basketball anymore. That hurt. I thought I was going to die, okay? And the next day, I'm pretty sure I thought I was going to die. Uh, things don't move like they used to, and I can't jump like I used to. But here's the deal. Here's the point. I used to play basketball. I cannot play basketball. As bad as I want to play basketball, I can't. But I can coach. I can help. I can do that. And if I can't coach, I can be a cheerleader. Folks, we all have a goal or have a mission in life. God has a plan for you, and you can either play ball, you can coach, or you can cheer somebody else on. But God has a plan for you, okay? 
So I also work, besides being a basketball coach last year, I, I have another job. Uh, I work with Extension. And when I became an, an agent in, with the K-State Extension a few years ago, they sent you through what they call new agent orientation, which takes about a year. It's about four or six trainings that are about a week long, and you get to leave your family for four days and, and go do these trainings. And during one of these trainings, they make you take a personality quiz. Now, you can't fail a personality quiz, but it does reveal a lot about you that you don't want to know sometimes. And they have four different personalities, and they got to color code them for us that are uh, impaired that way. So the first one is you have a personality that's, that is gold, okay? So that's the get-it-done type of personality. If you get a task, the gold people don't care what's in the way, snow drift, snow plow, doesn't matter. We're going to get the task done. That's the gold. They're a leader, and they'll drag anybody along that need, they need to to get the task done. That's the gold leader. That's that personality. The other personality is a green personality. Now, green is very analytical, and we all know these people. They take a problem, and they analyze it, and they summarize it, and they dissect it until it drives you nuts, but then they will act. But they're very analytical. And then we have the orange people, and they're the fun ones, okay? So if you're ever in a job, and you have an orange personality on your team, you're going to have a good time, okay? Because it doesn't matter... If the water faucet is leaking, they're going to laugh at you because it's spraying you in the face. These are the people that if there's a good time to have, they're going to be the ones having it. That's that personality. And then the last one is blue. Now, I'm not a blue as much as you might think. I do not have a stitch of blue in me on the test. And that is you consider other people's feelings above anything else before you make a decision. And these people worry about what somebody's going to think about them how that's going to affect their lives other than you, okay? So you're very blue. I do not have that. I'm more of the green and the gold personality, okay? I like to have a good time, but uh, the gold kind of dominates, okay? So in our office, if you would come to our office, there's five of us in there. There's two golds, one green, a blue, and an orange. And if you come in there, you will know exactly who they are, all right? So... The other gold leader in our group came in here a while back with a, uh, a Facebook post, um, and she doesn't have a stitch of blue in her either, okay? No blue. But she came in, came in with a story off of Facebook of this little kid that was dying of cancer. He was almost eight years old, and his biggest wish was that somebody would send him a birthday card. Whenever he got a birthday card, he would read the entire thing, front, back, even who published it and who made it. That is how hungry this child was to be loved. And so uh, our gold leader came in there. She brought us this sad story, and it is sad. It was a local kid, actually. And she brought a handful of cards. And so uh, this kid wanted to make it to his birthday, which was in October. So this had been back in September. And uh, we all filled out a card, but we didn't know whether to make it there in time because uh, he, he just had just a little bit of time left. And so we all filled out a card, mailed it. Didn't know anything else outside of we mailed the card, and that was it. Um, that's all we could do, um, and that. So uh, we, we sent the card, and you guys, you don't know how much of an impact something small has on somebody else. But I actually have the obituary of this little child, and I will try to read it, but I'm going to only read one paragraph of it. 
this little child's name was Daniel. And uh, this, was, this was his obituary. It says, Daniel was so excited and amazed by the gifts and cards he received his last two months when his great aunt posted his unbirthday party for him on Facebook, as we did not know he would be able to make it to October for his eighth birthday. He was so worried he would miss his birthday. He was very blessed and uplifted by the showering of cards and gifts he received for weeks. As due to his illness, he had, gotten, he had not gotten to, school, uh, gotten to school or much of anywhere outside of the hospital for almost three years and at times felt he had no friends. He would giggle and want every part of the card read, including the back, and at times exclaimed, Here I thought I didn't really have any friends, but look how many people love me. Without the love and support of many, we could, have, we could not have made it through this time and given Daniel and his brothers the undivided attention that they deserved. You know, sometimes you can play basketball, sometimes you can coach, and sometimes you're the cheerleader. Folks, we all have a mission to do. We are not dead yet, and God's not done with you yet. You don't think you can do anything? We all have cell phones now, pretty much all of us. You can send a text. The nice thing about text is that you don't have to converse. It can be a one-way conversation. Just thinking about you today, wanting you to know I was praying for you. Hope you get through the week. Hope you have a great week. Whether they reply or not doesn't mean anything, but they know that you care. Okay? And then if you really want to go that extra step, there's a little phone button at the top of your text message. You can call them. You can have a two-way conversation. You can meet them. You can have some cookies. Whatever you want to do, folks, God's not done with you yet. People out there are hurting just like this Samaritan woman, and they need your love. But more than that, when they get your love, they need to know that you have the love of Jesus Christ to give them to heal their problems. And that's exactly what changed this town's around was the fact that Jesus showed love to one Samaritan woman. You don't think you can change the world, but you might not be able to change the world, but you can change your world. The first thing you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You might not be able to change the world, but you will change your world if you accept him as Savior because all he wants to do is love you and care for you. When we pass from this earth, and we don't know when that'll be, it could be tomorrow, it could be a year from now, it could be 10 years from now, I don't know, but at one point, we're going to all pass from this world. And I'm going to ask you a real pointed question, where's your reservation for the next life? Heaven or hell, that's the only two destinations, folks. Where's it at? Have you given your life to Jesus? If you give your life to Jesus, he will change your world. And then you get involved with the Bible-believing church, and you start growing in his word. And number two, you might not be able to change the world, but you could be the tool that God uses to change somebody else's world. Folks, today I want to encourage you to get out there and spread God's word and God's love. Jesus didn't discriminate. He took an outcast of outcasts. This is a woman that Samaritans were an outcast to begin with, and the woman was an outcast of the outcast. And Jesus took time for her and changed an entire town. Is there someone in here in your life that needs the love of God today. I challenge you today to share that love with somebody else. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you for being here this morning, Lord. Please use these words to touch those that need it, Lord. If someone needs to make a decision today, Lord, uh, please let them come forward. Let them do it. Let them make a phone call and let somebody know that they made that decision to become a servant of you, Lord. Just thank you for your goodness, your dying on the cross, your forgiveness of our sins, Lord.
We are perfect because of what you have done for us. We just thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name I say this. Amen.